the recording going. And it's going to be kind of an open dojo session, but I will remind folks up front that, you know, uh, th- this week's focus areas include ALAP ASAP and on the instrument side, uh, tuning issues. So if anybody has any specific issues about that, we can absolutely dive into it. Um, but I just haven't had a chance to like mentally prep for a beautiful lecture. And it's been a while since we've just kind of opened up the floor. So let's do that. So get some, get some questions going in the chat. It could be totally unrelated too, if you want, like, what do you think about unicorns? Uh, Marianne says, I'm not sure if it's the place to ask, well, if it's about bagpipes, this is the place. Uh, Cabrafe, last part, bar three. Instead of the GDE, the grace notes are GDG. Almost certainly a typo based on what you're saying. I don't really know what our setting is. But yes, it's almost certainly what you're saying is... Uh, Fine. Let's let's have a peek. Yeah, should be an E grace note. G is going to get a talking to from me because it's obviously needs to be an E. Yeah. <clears throat> Gideon says, what do you like about unicorns? Only that my daughter likes them. And that's about as far as I've gone. Okay. Lou says, uh, building arm strength so as not to choke. Okay. So first of all, you have to make sure that your bagpipe is set up well. Okay, what are the um, what are the five? I can't find anything. What are the five things that we need to do to set up our bagpipes well? It's it's a you know it's a variation on the four questions, right? So the first thing that I would do is uh, like you know you can call it step zero, but uh, do the Scott and the Brave test. Not to be confused with the STD test, uh, you do the STB test, Scott and the Brave test, which is make sure that you can play the first line, make sure you can mouth blow the first line of Scott and the Brave uh, before putting Chanter in the pipes. Right? Everybody's heard of this before? I hope. Okay. That's what that does, right? You should be able to play just about exactly the first line of Scott and the Brave, mouth blow it on your pipe chanter, okay? Uh, And we need to do that. That's how we measure whether or not our chanter read is the correct strength for us. Ray, you're doing that thing where you're raising your hand a million and one times again. Why are we doing that? Okay. You're not in trouble. I just don't want you. Don't want that to start happening again. Like, stop sitting on the remote control or whatever. <laughs> okay, back to the thought again. So uh, it's it's how we figure out whether or not our read is the right strength for you. Okay. 
So uh, you should be able to play through the whole first line. So, like, let's pretend this was my bagpipe chanter, right? I'll take it out of the pipes. Okay? And I would take my reed, which is gross, and I would mouth blow it, and I'd do this. And I should just about die right there. Okay? I shouldn't be able to play much longer than that. If I can play much longer than that, my read's probably too easy for me. Okay? And, but uh, more, you know, more of an issue would be if you can't make it to that point, then your read is probably too hard for you. Everybody understand that? How did we develop that test? Well, it, it was just me, and I was like, okay, well, it doesn't make sense. I might be, my body's going to be different than other people in my band, right? Like, I might be stronger, I might be weaker, I might have more lung capacity, I might have less, I don't know. I might have more lip strength, I might have less. There's probably, there's so many different factors in whether or not a person's going to be able to handle a reed. So, I took a reed that was what I considered to be the right strength for me, and I played it as long as I could, and that's the point I got to before I cut out. That's it. But it really works. Okay? It really works uh, to sort of gauge whether or not you're in the ballpark. So, Lou, the first thing you need to do is to do that, okay? Because it doesn't matter how strong your arm is if you can't uh, put enough volume through your instrument to support that reed. Make sense? Can you go, go ahead, go do it right now and tell me how you do. <laughs> Actually, Lou, let me just, uh, let's do this. Let's, uh, are you able to play right now, Lou? Whoops, what did I do? Maybe he already left, but I was going to say we could do it on camera. Hi. Hey, turn on your camera. Let's, let's do this. Let's see what you got. Sorry, I just got my uh, head, headphones on. Oh, okay, I was going to say just turn on your camera, and uh, it could be the Lou show. So uh, one line of Scott and the Brave on that. So, yeah, you kind of made it three quarters of the way. Let's let's uh, regain our strength again. But it could be, you know, one of the reasons you're choking could be that the read is too hard, right? Uh, let's let, give yourself a chance to catch your breath. Let's give it one more whirl. I'll do it when, you, when you're ready. Right, so you, you can get about halfway, uh, and then you can't. Then you can't. Then you have to stop. Right? Reads too hard. Uh, so what you need to do is just shave it into a million pieces, and then. Uh, uh, so so we might want to. It, it's not to say, and I'm going to hang up on you, Lou, uh, just so I can continue my jam. How do I do this? Well, I, I know I know how to do that. Oh, and you turned off your video. Very nice. Thank you. Thank you for your assistance. Uh, so.
that read might be good. So I'm not saying you should throw away that read. And I'm not saying that, um, I don't necessarily want you to shave that read either. I just want you to find a, an easier read to develop your, your, um, your blowing skills with. Does that make sense to everybody? Like keep that read, maybe even keep it going in that chanter. If it, but if you've got another chanter, we want to like develop our sound and our skills and our arm squeezing on a read that's the right strength for us. Okay. Um, and that's how we're going to measure. Everybody see how he didn't quite make it to the end? Okay. Just let that be an indicator that that read is, is too hard for now. And then as, as we get better coordination and strength and, and stamina, that read will probably be just fine because we're going to build up to it. But what's interesting, and Ephraim, you know, he's my, uh, he's my resident fitness coach. We're not going to get any stronger if we're lifting weights that are way too heavy for us. If we're in the gym, we don't want to lift weights that are way too heavy for us. We're not going to get better. We're not going to get stronger. That makes sense, right? Same is true for piping. We're not going to get better. We're not going to gain stamina or strength if we're struggling because we're just going to die off and we're not going to be able to kind of like build it up and get any sort of longevity in our playing, right? That makes sense to everybody? <clears throat> yeah. So, uh, and, and it's not that that reads bad and I don't want you to change it because it probably won't, it'll probably just be a week or two before we've get, gathered up enough strength and stamina. Okay. So it's important that when we are learning how to blow steady and when we're learning how to, play for longer periods of time and when we are thinking about our posture and when we're tuning like learning the basics of tuning it's really important that the read is the right strength for you or else it's just going to be a bit of a disaster okay so that's step one of getting a um you know of getting ourselves to the point where we can practice so lou i really want you to listen to me and go and, and sort that out find an easier read Call up McGilvery and ask him for one of his easy reads. <laughs> uh, tell him, um, tell him, Andrew. Tell him, Andrew said you should have access to his secret easy read collection. I'm just kidding. You never know. It depends on McGilvery's mood. Sometimes he finds that funny, and sometimes he doesn't like it. So, uh, so there you go. Uh, <clears throat> just kidding. Okay. Uh, do the Scott and the Brave test. Okay, and then uh, steps, and then the remainder of the steps, right, are what? Then do the four questions, okay? So we, we have to make sure we do this first. We have to do the Scott and the Brave test, and then we have to do the four questions with, like, absolute, like, religiosity, okay? And then... Uh, and then we'll be in the position to start to develop our tonal quality habits. And the arm that you're talking about, you know, that's physical blowing mechanics that we need to work on. All right. Uh, and make sure you're working on it in the way that we do in the transitioning to the bagpipes course. Okay. Start by corking every single thing off and, and, and looking at your posture and making sure in particular that the elbow and the arm is in the right spot and that we're not trying to squeeze with the arm and, and kind of work through that and think about it. Then the next step as we do in the transitioning to the pipes course is to open up just one drone and to work on the physical blowing mechanics. And then we open up a second drone 
Okay. And, you know, we keep kind of thinking about that and work on that. And then only at that point would we introduce the chanter. If you take your time with that and do that well, and really think about it and, and, you know, don't rush it, it, it will have a big positive impact on your playing. All right. Uh, but if, if you do all those things in particular, make sure your chanter reads the right strength. Make sure your posture is good. If you do all those things, you won't, you won't be choking anymore with the left arm. Cool? Ephraim said, what reads am I playing? Um, I, I, um, our local band is playing the G1 reads. They're good, really good reads. Uh, and then Inverary plays the um, Chesney reads. The Chesney reads are better still like they get somehow they just get something extra however g1 reads are the best for beginners and intermediates there's no question in my mind you get a g1 read put it in the chanter as long as you as long as you put that in the right spot as long as you're seating that chanter correctly those things are magic and 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 they always sound like nine out of ten reads sound great it's just unparalleled consistency and I'm not being paid to say that, although Jock should pay me because I, I really like his product. So if you seat the reed properly, if you balance the reed properly, using the graduated tuning effect, right? Uh, G1's magic. G1 tends to be flat on the high hand. That doesn't make any sense, right? If a reed was flat on the high hand, you would just sink it. And it wouldn't be flat on the high hand anymore. You band plates G1 channers and reads and they're better than the Melvin reads. I really like Adrian's reads too. I think they're really nice reads. In particular, he makes a really nice like beginner strength read for sure. Yeah, Adrian makes good reads. For sure. Okay, <clears throat> backing up. Do we have any more questions? Uh, like some of these. Okay, nope, we don't. So next question up is Lee's question. Uh, can your high G be in tune on the regular scale, but out of tune as a P-Brock high G? Absolutely. Yeah. It absolutely can be different. And it usually is at least slightly different. And in some cases, it's fairly significantly different. Gideon says they're hard to balance well in a band setting. No, they're not. Cool. Uh, so let's take this opportunity. Let's talk a little bit about the graduated tuning effect together. Okay, let's review it. Sound like a good plan? We need more hell yes in this class. Like, yeah, that's a great idea. I'm so fired up. Oh, I love this. It's so amazing. I love talking about this. Okay, uh, where is my, gotta get my participants window again. I gotta get my chat window. It's very annoying how that works. Gotta get the big guns out. Gotta get my mouse. You know, we have to keep talking about this because people's recordings are on average kind of abysmal when it comes to chanter read balancing still, okay? But that's okay. It's normal. That's supposed to be that way uh, because it's, it's a bit tricky, uh, but we do need to get better at this. Balancing is really, really important. All right. So let's draw a chanter, okay? Hmm, how do I want to do this? Everybody seeing our chanter here? Not bad, right? It's going to be a semi-realistic chanter. Not bad, right? Pretty good. 
proud of myself. I kind of don't want to ruin it with holes, but we're going to. We're going to ruin it. Whoops. I lost my thing. Now it's back. <laughs> Anatomically correct. All right, so here's the high A. Okay, and then we have uh, I, G, F. This is like one of those E, D, C, and then here's my low G's. Chanter, what do you think? Not bad. Ovular, a little bit ovular. Okay, so let's, um, let's talk about the chanter balancing, okay? When you, um, when you raise a reed or sink a reed, what effect does it have on the tuning of the notes? Let's start with what do most people think the effect is? Good. So if you raise the reed, you make the column of air longer and it gets flatter, right? All the notes get flatter. And then if you sink it, all the reeds get sharper, right? That's what most people think. How many people here still think that? Maybe you're newer to Dojo U and that's what you thought. Or are we all, are we all um, converted? Gideon says it's the opposite. Well, no, that's not true. Good. And the reality is it's going to affect the top hand more than the bottom hand, no matter how you move the reed. And here's why. Okay. Uh, let's get a different color. So here's why. Uh, let's pretend this right here is the, um, this is like where the vibration comes from. And I'm not quite sure of the science. Maybe the vibration point actually comes from the reed itself. Okay. But the longer the column of air is, on a wind instrument, the flatter the pitch is gonna get, the longer the column of air is, okay? And the other thing that you should know is, it's proportional, so if you have a column of air that's 10 centimeters long, and it sounds the note A, what will a column of air that's 20 centimeters long, what note is that gonna play? It's also gonna play an A, but what is the, what's the difference between the two? The first one is one octave higher than the second one. And that's how music works. So like, so if we go from 10 to 20 centimeters, we've increased the length of the column of air by 100%. Does that make sense? And by increasing it 100%, the uh, octave will be, it will be one octave lower than we were before. And that's how it works. Okay. Meanwhile, if we take that column of air and we split it in half, we would be we would play the note A one octave higher. But you see, it wasn't ten centimeters the other way, was it? It's proportional. Okay. So if we apply that, if we apply that basic logic to the chanter, <clears throat> it, it teaches us what will really happen when we raise or sink a reed in the reed seat. Okay. So. Let's do it together. So here is, uh, here is the um, initial point of the vibration on our chanter, right? And then here is the top of the high A hole, okay? Now, here is the top of the low A hole down here. Everybody got me? So let's say that um, for the ease of math, for the ease of math, let's say that this here is two centimeters. Whoops. So the initial distance between the two is two centimeters. 
Cool. And then uh, the initial distance to the bottom, let's say that it's 20 centimeters. Se seem like a seem like a reasonable, like if we took measurements, you know, that's that's sort of what we would find. Two centimeters to there, 20 centimeters to there. Everybody's still following me? It's all making sense? This is obviously not drawn to scale, and the numbers might be slightly different, but not that different. I think John Holcomb actually did the measurements once, and it was kind of, sort of like this. This is conceptual, a conceptual diagram. So now let's raise the read. Is this what we're going to do? How are we going to, how did we do this before? Let's raise the read. Okay, so now let's change colors. Uh, now we're going to raise the read, let's call it, uh, I don't know, what would be good for ease of the math. Let's raise the read by one centimeter, let's say. Let's just go crazy. Let's raise the read by one centimeter. No, let's not do that. Let's do two tenths of a centimeter. Let's raise it by two tenths of a centimeter. All right. What is the percentage change? Here's our new line. We, we just raised the reed. Okay, so it's two tenths of a centimeter long. What is the percentage change now? If we go from two centimeters to 2.2 centimeters, what's the percentage change? Very good. So the percentage change here is, uh, is what do we say, 10% change. All right, between that two. But now what about the, uh, what about the percentage change from uh, the read down to the low A? What is the percentage change in that respect? Now it's 20.2 centimeters. Can everybody see how the amount that the low A changed was only 1% on the bottom end. Okay, so the way that like the basics of this works is raising or sinking a reed has a much greater effect on uh, the higher the note goes up to scale. And actually, it's pretty close to 10 times difference. <laughs> It's mind-blowing, right? The high A is pretty close to 10 times more affected by a change than the low A. It's wild, the way the bagpipe chanter works, right? So this is why what Ephraim was saying doesn't make a lot of sense. So he says, the high A, or the high hand is flat on my chanter, like with a G1 reed. Well, that doesn't make any sense. It just means the reed is unbalanced and needs to be sunk, okay? Because by sinking the reed, we will balance, we'll bring the high hand into balance with the bottom hand because the high hand will change a lot more by sinking that reed. Uh, you know, another, uh, another really great example of how misunderstanding this can be very costly. Uh, has anybody here ever been in a position where maybe after you play for a long time or if you're playing in the cold, what happens to the tuning of the bottom hand notes typically? If the reed gets wet or and or you're in the cold. Yeah, like if you've been playing bagpipes for any length of time, we've all experienced this. The bottom hand goes flat. 
in the wet and the cold, the bottom hand goes flat. And then if you're tuning up your bagpipes or if you are tuning up a pipe band and suddenly someone's uh, bottom hand goes really flat, what are you tempted to do as a way to solve the problem? Oh no, the whole thing just went flat. What should you do? Sink the reed. But if the bottom hand was flat and you just sank the reed, what did you do? You actually made the high hand even sharper relative to the bottom hand. And, uh, and that would be a grave, grave mistake to do that. And the opposite could also be true. What are you tempted to do if the high hand is really, really sharp relative to the bottom hand? You know, it's the same, you know, it's a, it would be the same scenario. Uh, but we, we, we really don't want to tape down that whole top hand if we can avoid it. Because what's the negative impact of taping down holes on the top hand significantly? But yeah, it would kill the vibrance and the volume of those notes. Sharp and thin. Sharp and thin, sharp and thin. That's like, you know, a big, big problem with sound, right? Tonal quality goes out the window. And the volume of those notes, right, is going to be way less. The holes are already smaller than the bottom hand holes. Not to say that there's a direct correlation to hole size to volume, but um, there's definitely something to it. And if we take those holes and make them even smaller, it just kills the sound of those notes. So we really don't want to do that either. Okay, so the correct thing to do in the case that the high hand is sharper than the bottom hand is to raise that reed, bring it into balance. Are there any questions about the basics of the graduated tuning effect before I get into Ephraim's question here? And Lee, your, your point here is directly related to what Ephraim is asking as well. Although I like the poetics. Is this folly? Oh, I like it. Oh, you need to, I hope you, I hopefully you did one of those. Is this folly? We're out there. Oh, hi, G. I like it. I like it. I like the dramatic. Okay, it's really basic, right? It's really simple. Now, you know, what, when you're first beginning on the bagpipes, all these subtleties can be difficult to hear at first, but we could still do the basics, right? If the high hand sounds like a foghorn, it's probably flat. If, it's, if the high hand notes sound like, uh, like a dog whistle, and causes physical pain, it might be sharp. And so we can play, just, just play with it. Play with the balance of the reed to try to get a true scale. We want it to sound like that, not like this. You know, we want it to sound, we want it to sound fairly musical before we put it in the pipes to play it. You don't have to be an expert to kind of sort of get it in the basic ballpark. And as we get better and more experienced and as we do more uh, uh, tuning activity and, and we mess around with things more, you, you will develop a more and more attuned ear. What is the best place to start the read in height? Answer, it doesn't matter. If you start it in the wrong place, you'll adjust based on the graduated tuning effect. And, and then the, you know, where a reed usually starts changes based on the reed and chanter combination anyway. Okay, so let's go into these more specific questions. So Ephraim's question, which is related to Lee's question, is, was, where did it go? 
what happens if everything is in tune except the high A is flat? Okay. So now we're in the situation where our chanter is going really well. It's really balanced. Everything's sounding good except that the high A is flat. What are our options? Go ahead. Hit me in the chat, people. We cannot tape the high A because it's already flat. Guys, uh, just while we're here, what does taping a note do? Let's add some tape to our note. What does taping that note do? Now here, see how I just added tape to the D? What does it do? Forget about flattening and sharpening. What are we actually doing when we add tape? We're, we are changing the length of the column of air, people. That's what we're doing when we tape the note. Very, very basic. That's it. Forget about the word tape. Forget about whether it makes it flatter or sharper. You're just adjusting the length of the column of air. Okay? So if we make, if we're adjusting it to make the column of air longer, what effect does that have on a note? It would flatten it, right? But we get there, we can get there logically. So anyway, back to our high A. If we put tape on the high A, it's going to flatten it. And Ephraim's question, we're already flat on high A. So what are our options? We have a few options. What are they? Uh, John, uh, just going up to before, uh, we could sync the read, okay? And that would have a big effect on the high A, as we know, although it will also have an effect on the high G and the F and the E as well. Lee, can you see how this is related to your question? So if we balance the low A and the high A perfectly, we often find that the high G especially is quite sharp. Can you see, everybody see this is directly related because we've, uh, we have shortened, or we have sunk the reed, which has a big effect on those high hand notes. Good, another option would be to drill out the high A hole, which obviously for beginners and intermediates is something we don't really wanna do. Right, we don't want to, you know, most of us are not comfortable carving into our investment, right? So you could, uh, so, so the first thing you would try is to sync the read a bit to bring the high A into balance, and then we would tape the high G hole. But what's the problem with taping the high G hole? Logistical problem. Yeah, so if we tape the high G hole much past a third of that note covered, we tend to get chirps whenever we play a G grace note. And how often do we play G grace notes? Like all the time, right? So, uh, so it's a bit tricky. Okay, what are our other options? I have an option that I use uh, pretty often to help offset this issue. What's another option? This is the option I would go with. And uh, by the way, Ephraim, I absolutely do this with our G1 channers and our band. Just remember what I'm about to tell you is in moderation. It's, it's as little as possible, but sync and lengthen the parabola. No, that's not it. Read manipulation is never really something I want to do if I can avoid it. Good. Michael Swan, absolutely. So you tape everything except for the high A. That's what I would do. So I would actually tape the low A to be in better balance with the high A. Okay. And then, you know, uh, I would get my, then I would get my drones in tune and then I would start to fine tune all those other notes 
uh, to match that taped low A. Ephraim says, I sacrifice all the other notes for the high A. Well, it's not really a sacrifice, right? Because it's going to result in me not having to tape the high G nearly as much. And the high G is really that pinnacle note. Taping the high G too much causes so many problems I don't want. Meanwhile, what problems does taping a low A have? No real problems, right? So I tape the low A and I, I set all the other notes to kind of, uh, you know, to kind of man manage that. Now, I try to do that as little as I can, but, but that's the way to go. Now, here's the interesting thing about having tape on the bottom hand, right? This is where, this is where 20 years high-level experience really comes in. High-level. 20 years ago, I was already a professional piper. That is whacked. No, no, 20 years ago, I was, I, was, uh, I was having my almost undefeated season in grade one. Exactly 20 years ago, this day. Aaron McCarthy beat me twice, and both times it was bullshit. It was just judges who were tired of seeing me win everything. I, I, I love Aaron, though. Don't. We don't have to bring this up. Uh, she, and she was a great, fantastic P-Rock player, no doubt. Okay. Uh, what was I even talking about? I got distracted thinking about my almost undefeated season. And it was undefeated in the EUS PBA. When I went to Canada, Glenn Brown beat me a couple times. Uh, so what was I talking about? Oh, yeah, benefits of having tape on the bottom hand. Which is, what about that thing we just talked about? Which is, if your reed starts to get wet, what tends to happen to the tuning of the bottom hand? Tends to get flat. Here's another scenario in pipe bands that you have all the time, which is somebody in your band, their bottom hand goes flat. So if you have tape on the bottom hand, can you see how it's really, really easy to deal with flatness? You just take some tape off, right? That sounds nice. Meanwhile, if there's no tape on the bottom hand, how would you deal with a fellow band member whose bottom hand becomes flat? You're in big trouble, right? You don't have very many good options. In the big leagues, if you're in the big leagues, if your bottom hand goes flat and you don't have any tape, try again. Try again tomorrow. As a matter of fact, I'm, you know, if I'm playing an Inverary and I'm noticing that my bottom hand doesn't have any tape on it, I'm taking, I'm taking action. You know, I know I'm smart. I know how dangerous bottom hand flatness can be in, uh, in the real world of pipe banding, right? So I like a little bit of tape on the bottom, Ephraim, which thereby resolves the flat high A issue, generally speaking. So what you do, here's what you do is, uh, is you put, and I'll sometimes do this without even hearing the read. I'll put a little bit of tape on the bottom hand notes, just a little bit. Okay. And what I find is I'm able to balance the read pretty darn well. And maybe the high G starts off with a quarter of the tape covered, a, cover, a quarter of the hole covered with tape because high G's are always sharp, especially in North America, right? But I find that to be an excellent default 
uh, excellent default starting point uh, for a lot of chanter read combinations. I don't recommend you do that though. Don't do what I just said. What I, what I do is based on 20 years of experience. What you need to do is go through the motions. So you have a read where everything sounds good except for the high A. Okay, so what, what you would then do is tape the low A so that it brings it into better balance with the high A. And then you tune your drones overall a little bit flatter because you're matching the taped low A now, right? And then you then, then go through the process of listening to the B. Oh, okay, sure enough. The B is sharp now. Okay, let's add a little bit of tape to the B. And then listen to the C. Yep, C is sharp. Then listen to the D. Yep, D is sharp. Oh, actually, the E is pretty good. Got it. Okay, F is not bad. Okay, and then the high G, you know what? That's a lot better. Let me just, you know, the, the high G is maybe just slightly sharp now. Let me put some tape on, but go through that process. Learn the logic. Don't take any shortcuts without actually going through the motions yourself. This is how we learn to tune. This is how we develop our tuning instincts. I have tuned a channel the way I just described to you, just like that, 8,407 times. So now, now that, you know, once you've done it 8,407 times, now you can start to just preempt it by starting off with a, de a default configuration. Ephraim, that was 8,407 times. You know me, I meticulously take notes on everything. See what I mean, people? Got me? Tuning is really cool. Uh, if you, you just have to get into the the fact that it's a continuous puzzle that you're always trying to solve a little bit better each time you play. Get into the puzzle instead of just trying to get something that sounds good and so you don't have to think about it anymore. That's never going to be the case. So if, if you get into the thrill of, of finding better and better tuning via understanding the puzzle, uh, then uh, then you'll be off to the races and you'll, you'll be amazed how great your sound can become and how the myth of having a good ear is bullcrap, right? A good ear is just a result of, of, of uh, doing that puzzle every single day and getting better and better and faster and faster at it to the point now where I've heard what a flat B sounds like so much, I don't have to test for it. I just know because I've heard it at least as you know, 8,407 times. It's the same as anything, right? If you learn to love locking into the metronome and figuring out how to lock in better and better and, and loving the fact that you're not perfect and that you have to continually make adjustments, that is how you develop great timing. Not by being pissed off at Andrew for pointing out how your timing isn't great. Like you should almost have, you should almost have a positive reaction. Almost. I won't ask you to have a completely positive reaction, but it should almost be a positive reaction when somebody tells you, hey, you're rushing that C doubling there. It should almost be like, oh, this is great. Something I can fix to get even better. Positive isn't the right word for it. But like your 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 endorphin should should get a hit by learning that information. Like oh, a challenge, sweet. Sally says, 
This is probably one of the most useful classes I've watched at the dojo. Yes, I've talked about it before. Yes, I have. But drilling down into the details is so helpful. Well, you have to learn to do that on your own, right? You have to go down and get experience. Like, you know, any, any mastery-oriented skill, but let's just take bagpiping, for example, okay? It's 10% it's knowledge and 90% and getting your hands dirty and developing your own experiences. And the thing is, at least half of the knowledge that you have can only be acquired through experience if it's to be useful. So now that I've granted you this amazing knowledge, go, go do it at least 8,407 times. What brought on the sudden jump from tuning to the metronome? They're just similar things, right? Uh, great timing is the same sort of skill as great tuning. Is it the exact same skill? No, but it's very closely related. Uh, and the only way that you can get good timing is by trying and adjusting and trying and adjusting and trying and failing. By the way, failing goes in between. Try, fail, adjust. Try, fail, adjust. Try, fail, adjust. You do that every single day. And, you, you have, you know, and in order to do that, you have to start to enjoy the process, right? Or else it's, not, it's never going to happen. Because you have to get up to at least 8,407 even to improve. Tuning is the same way. Try, fail, adjust. Try, fail, adjust. Try, fail, adjust. Try, fail, adjust. And it keeps going. This is what mastery looks like. Try, fail, adjust. Try, fail, adjust. Try, fail, adjust. And it, the more you do that, it, it eventually, before you know it, it gets to the point where your failures, the average person has no idea are going on. Like, like your failures are so subtle and so small uh, that, that no one really notices but you. And I think that's what mastery is. Try, fail, adjust. 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 Adjust, try, fail, adjust. Try, fail, adjust. Try, fail, adjust. This is what mastery looks like. This is what I do. When I play, this is what I do. Try, fail, adjust. And what's interesting is I'm doing it during a performance, like, like with those beats, right? Like I'm, I'm striving for perfect timing and almost every single beat I fail at least to some degree and I have to adjust. So every, think of every single metronome click is that I'm going to try to hit it. I'm going to fail. And so I need to adjust. And that happens every beat, Try, fail, adjust, 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 try, fail, adjust. That's what good timing is. Okay. You guys get, do I need to say that some more? Try, fail, adjust, try, fail, adjust, try, fail, adjust. Okay, guys, that's the end of my class for today. It started off a little slow, but then I crushed it. All right, guys, have a great, uh, have a great rest of your day. I just want to end this class by saying, try, fail, adjust, try, fail, adjust. Hey, everybody, Andrew Douglas here from the Piper's Dojo. And I just want to say thanks so much for listening to today's iteration of the podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard here today, it would be super helpful to us and to a lot of bagpipers out there trying to find us. If you could give us a top-notch review on whatever platform you're using to listen to this podcast, particularly Apple, iTunes, and Spotify, and things like that, your review would be really, really helpful. So if you have a moment today, definitely go over there and help us out. 
Other than that, until we meet again on the podcast or somewhere else, thanks again for listening.